0: You are listening to Hank's Infinite Playlist.
1: Good morning, good evening, good night. To all of our dedicated listeners out there, welcome to the inaugural edition of Hank's Infinite Playlist, a journey through all the classic and unforgettable films Hank Tucker has not seen. I am Justin Birnbaum, your host, your guide your Sherpa on this journey through pop culture history. Joining me is none other than the namesake of this podcast, the legendary Hank Tucker. And boy, do we have an exciting one for you today. After Hank's first viewing, we're here to discuss the 2008 masterpiece, Step Brothers, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Reilly. But before we go any further, let's explain the origin of this endeavor and the rules. Maybe it's because of his Duke basketball super fandom, or maybe it's because he spends too much time reading for a general Zer. but my good friend Hank has missed out on quite a few classic movies in his lifetime. We're here to correct that, and we've made a challenge of sorts to do so. Our plan is to fill the gaps for Hank in batches of eight films, all thematically similar in one way, shape, or form. Step Brothers is the first step in tackling those classic late 2000s comedies, a group I have dubbed Potent Quotables. I mean, who does not make a Stepbrothers reference at least once every 48 hours? At the end of each episode, Hank will assign the quote-unquote Hank score. In the true spirit of collaboration, I have absolutely no idea how this will work, and it's up to Hank if he wants to let us in on his rationale. When we reach the eighth and final episode of each volume, we will declare a winner. And who knows, maybe the winners will compete against each other someday. More on that later, but on to the good stuff for now. So for all of our listeners living under a rock, here's a quick refresher of the plot of Step Brothers, courtesy of Google, because I did not want to take the time to write this myself. So here we go. Brennan Huff, Will Ferrell, and Dale Doback, John C. Riley have one thing in common. They're both lazy, unemployed leeches who still live with their parents. When Brennan's mother and Dale's father marry and move in together, it turns the overgrown boy's world upside down. Their insane rivalry and narcissism pull the new family apart, forcing them to work together to reunite their parents. First dive in here, Hank, I want you to give me your review in one minute or less.
0: You know, this is just a really good Will Ferrell performance. You know, I don't know that it's in the Pantheon. It's certainly not Anchorman, which is the gold standard in comedy. But you definitely have your laugh out loud mo- moments here with all of Brennan and Dale's shenanigans. And, you know, every movie, you need your supporting cast to come through. And Adam Scott's the guy that really delivers in here, I think. Um, I guess it's his breakout performance. I'm a big fan of what he's done in Parks and Rec and Severance since then. But he does an outstanding job playing Brennan's obnoxious, overachieving brother, Derek. You know, we meet him and his family singing Sweet Child of Mine in the car. He almost wrecks the car. One of the favorite scenes in the movie, for sure, uh, for me. Uh, I like the heartwarming ending. A little confused at why Brennan's therapist ended up with him romantically. Probably the biggest unanswered question for me. But definitely, all in all, uh, a really good movie.
1: All right. Now to the good part. Our four segments. Okay, so these were developed pretty randomly. I'm not married to them. Don't hate us if they change from now to uh, a future episode. But I guess we'll keep them consistent for the first few. Most uncomfortable moment of the movie. Hank, lead us off.
0: Uh, It's when Derek's wife, Alice, comes on to Dale for the first time when they're standing at the door while Derek's waiting to drive the family away. From their family dinner, um, Alice is very grateful that Dale has punched Derek in the face. Uh, I think it's something everyone around him has always wanted to do, um, but he's clearly just not very interested in her overtures. Um, she she kisses him anyway, um, and it, it, you know it becomes uh, you know she she tries to pursue him uh, very you know aggressively throughout the movie, um, while while he uh, his interest is is lukewarm at best uh, towards her. You know, it's funny you mention that because I have
1: to save this for a later segment, but I feel very similar in this. This would have probably been a close second to my uncomfortable moment. And hear me out on this one, okay? I know it's not real dog poop, okay? I I know. (laughs) But something about even pretending to be forced to eat fake white dog poop just makes my skin crawl. I I can't watch this. I just can't. I mean, like you mentioned with Alice, um, there are several cringe moments in this movie but nothing gets to me more than this. Uh, not that we have cable, but like if I'm at my parents' house and this is on cable and I put it on and I'm jumping in at a time where I know this scene is coming, I will flip to another channel for a few minutes. I just, I can't with the white dog poop. And we actually watched the unrated version where there's a post credit scene at the end where that they turn and make Chris Gardaki
0: lick the dog poop. So, um, But they don't make him do it. They let him go because they, they, they say they're, they're, they're not those kind of people. That's true. I
1: haven't committed that quite to memory because I have not, I've only seen that for the first time. But I just can't explain it. Fake poop, real poop, I just can't. The idea of, of putting your mouth on it. And it's a funny callback to another Will Ferrell movie because in Anchorman, as we both know, he eats cat poop. So kind of an interesting turn there. Um, yeah, that's going to be it for me. Uh, but let's move on, all right?
0: Hank, if you could kill off a character in this movie, who would it be? Um, you know, I, I've already, I think, made my feelings about uh, Alice known, so I'll, I'll choose someone different. I'll choose uh, Dale's dad, um, Robert. Uh, he's he, Both parents were obviously key figures in the movie, but... He's just, you know, kind of aggravating. Uh he, I don't think he's a very good, you know, husband uh to to Nancy. He's not the most encouraging father um and just not the kind of guy that that I think I'd want as a parent. He's he's pretty arrogant. He's uh you know obliviously supportive of of Derek, uh, you know, overwhelmingly so, uh, comically so. Um but you know, I I don't know how much he does to To advance uh, the movie forward.
1: I mean, yeah, and again, I'm going to have to put a pin in this for a later segment, but, I mean, <laughs> I just... Whenever I think of him, I think of the Christmas scene where the kids are talking, and he's like, you know what I got for Christmas? A crushed soul. And that's that's pretty kind of line. But also, I mean, again, you know, he does have a 40-year-old son living at home, and I, I love the line where he's like... Uh, you know, I, I said to Dale, what do you want to do? And he's like, Well dad, I want to join the family business. But, but but and the wife goes, But you're a medical doctor. And he's like, I know. So, you know, maybe maybe the cards are a little stacked against him, but I'll get I'll get to that more later. Uh, let me preface my answer by saying that I forever stand my Northwestern queen Katherine Hahn. Okay? She's an incredible performer. I love her in almost anything she does, but I just can't with her character in this movie. Okay? As she mentioned, She's, she's the wife of the Adam Scott character, Derek, who's Brennan's brother, who's a total D-bag, you know, douchebag, whatever you want to call him. Um, and this, like, secret, awkward, strange romance with Dale just adds nothing to the movie for me, okay? Is she funny? Yes, okay? She's objectively great in every role she's in. But if you cut all these scenes out of the movie, it would not change the movie one way or another for me. I mean, that, that's how I feel. Um, that's my hot take, and I'm going to stick to it. Uh, I don't know if you want to refute that at all. Concerning you mentioned her already, I probably doubt it. But yeah,
0: yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. Um, really, I think both of their love interests. I don't, I don't know if this should be really a romance movie. You know, Brennan with his therapist also. I, I I don't know how much that adds to the movie. I, the therapist, though, I find funny. Okay, I actually, I actually that that.
1: Gets me the laugh. I think that's like really ironic. They're forced to go to the therapist, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you're romantically interested in me." And then throughout the other movie, the rest of the movie, when she pops up, like everyone's in like denial, like, "Ah, oh, you know, like <laughs> you're a, you're a tough one." You know, when she shows up, because she shows up at the Catalina wine mixer, because she's like, "I'm only here because Brennan told me he would hurl himself off a cur- off a cliff." So um, that does it for me. But Catherine Hans is just. The way the, the, the plot of that in this movie just makes my skin crawl.
0: So. I, I agree. She does a good job with what she was cast. Um, maybe maybe that's the point here. Yeah. Maybe it's supposed to be so bad
1: that it's good, but I mean, I would totally cut it out if, if I, someone put a gun to your head and said you have to kill off a character or, or um, you know, remove a piece of the movie. That would be my choice. But, you know,
0: here I am. She and Adam Scott, of course, both in Parks and Rec. I prefer her there, even though they're not lovers in Parks and Rec but um, she just has a, a more normal um, disposition, I think, and most of her other roles than, than in this one.
1: I have to confess I've never seen Parks and Rec, so we're going to have to start the uh, sister
0: podcast, uh,
1: Justin's Infinite Playlist, where we go through all the TV shows. That you've seen that, I haven't.
0: Breaking Bad is the, uh, part one on that one, but we've got to get through all 60 episodes or so.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, we'd need a little more time to prep for that. <laughs>
0: um, okay. The secret villain.
1: Now, it's funny because a lot of these, these segments we've gone through so far do overlap a little bit in this case, but the secret villain, okay? By all accounts, Derek is um, the, secret, the, the main villain in this movie, not the secret villain, excuse me, okay? Um, you know, he torments his brother, Dale punches him in the face, he starts to chant the talent show, Brennan has a man giant up, Brennan has a man giant um, <laughs> it's just like funny hearing that come out of my mouth, whatever, but, but you know, it's, it's the movie. Who is the secret villain for you here? I'm
0: gonna say Nancy. Um, wow, that that is a hot take that I did not even consider. I'm okay. gonna say Brennan's mom. She is an enabler. I mean, you look up permissive parenting to the extreme. She, uh, you know, she is really the main reason for the destruction of her marriage at first with with Robert because she just does not put a pin in any of these. They're not kids. They're they're forty year olds' behaviors. Uh, you know, they erect Robert's boat. That was not a good thing, and she was you know she had a really hard time um trying you know kicking them out and cutting them off and getting mad about that and uh, you know she 's obviously uh you know very loving caring um, but she also needs to kind of stand up for for herself and her family and 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 her husband in particular a little bit. Um, to prevent the, you know, his kind of descent into, um, you know, deciding that the only way out of it at first was, was to end their relationship.
1: Okay. I respect your hot take. I guess mine is going to be a little more middle of the road here. The secret villain for me has got to be Dale's dad, Dr. Doback, Um, and I love the fact that, um, this reminds me of the scene where, uh, uh, Brennan calls him Dr. Dobak. He says, don't call me Dr. Dobak. And he's just like, fine, mom, Dobak, okay? But that's an aside. Um, he is just the downer to their fun through the whole movie. You know, I, I get your, your take about permissive parenting and, and the enabling part. But it seems like, you know, Nancy is just trying to make things work. And he's just a downer on their fun. He wants to get rid of the kids and sail around the world. And, you know, even Nancy doesn't want to do that. But, I mean, I get it. If I had a boat and my kids, my non-existent children crashed it and it cost me $70,000 whatever number he throws out, I would be pretty pissed. But lighten up, dude. You know, at the end of the movie, the boat makes for a way better treehouse anyways. And, you know, do you really want to sail around the world and just leave your kids behind? Like, come on, man. Um, And also, the way he is obsessed with Derek through the movie, the way he's throwing in with the true villain of the movie, okay, that just rubs me the wrong way. Okay, and in the process of doing that, he starts being mean to his own wife. So, if you think about it, you know this this could have been a path that
0: could have happened without the kids, anyways. So, yeah, yeah I would agree that that the relationship is it's a mutual destruction. Uh, you know, he he's obviously not innocent. He's the character I would have chosen to kill off earlier for many of the same reasons that that you just you know yeah. expressed. Um, so, yeah, I you know I definitely not going to get any pushback from me on that one. All right. So last on our list of segments here
1: is rename the movie. Now, you absolutely killed me on this. We don't Now, to be clear, we do not share these answers with each other before. But when we were brainstorming this, you kind of just blurted it out. And I was like, ah, that's so good. So um, I'm going to go first on this one. And I'm not proud of what I wrote down here. So basically, all I came up with um, was kind of like a tangent of what you did when you thought of another movie and kind of re... re- Reformatted it and threw it in there. Is I wrote down full house, but I don't think that really covers it. So, in order to, to fulfill this segment here, I looked up the international tilings, t- tilings, excuse me, the international titlings of these films and translated them back to English using Google Translate and wrote down some of the best ones. Now, keep in mind these are literal translations, I'm sure if you are a native speaker of these languages or fluent in these languages, they do not translate these ways. But um, this is what I got from plugging them into Google Translate, okay? There's the Chinese title, which literally translates to bad brother, bad brother. Um, the one from Spain, which translates to brothers for balls. Um, and the Iranian, which had a parenthetical and IMDB, Persian title of just quote unquote naughty. Then I wrote down two more, okay? Greek, which was siblings for crying. And French, which is brothers in spite of themselves. Um, So all those very entertaining translations, I understand they're literal and not true, but I feel like that fulfills my obligation here because the title you're going to have for this is going to
0: kill me. So please lay it on us. My title is The 40-Year-Old Virgins, um, referencing a movie that I have seen, by the way. Great (laughs) Steve Carell movie. Um it just seemed like it fit perfectly. These are two i think one 's thirty nine one 's forty years old uh we'll we 'll call them both forty just for the sake of this title working um and two men coming up on middle age um that clearly do not have a very long romantic history they they can barely take care of themselves they, they there 's no way they could take care of any other people. But you know, as the movie goes on, they we, we talked about the romance subplots and how you know we don't know how much they add to the movie, but they do kind of grow up a little bit uh, and and help you know lift each other to become the best versions of themselves and and even find women that, that are you know interested in them and and uh you know they uh get more uh you know confident and uh shall we say experienced that way too. <laughs> so, so that's that's my answer.
1: Okay. Fair enough, I'll accept it. You know, if we were awarding points for this, I would give you the point on this category. So yeah. Well done. And now the moment that we all have been waiting
0: for. The Hank score. The floor is yours, my friend. This is a very good movie. Um, I'm going to start doing these Hank scores out of 10. Uh, I reserve the right to change the scale at any time during Hank's Minute Playlist, just to keep people guessing on, on what's going to win this group of, of eight movies in the very end. Um, I would give Step Brothers an 8.5. Um, if, if we're talking about, you know, maybe you think that's a little bit of a, a, you know, tough grader if it's a B, but it still would be, you know, a lot higher than, like, the IMDb scale or something. But if we talk about, you know, say Anchorman's a 10, um, I, if, we're, if we're looking at the Will Ferrell spectrum, I think Elf I would put ahead of this. Um, you might disagree with
1: that. <laughs> Whoa, we might have to cancel the entire podcast for that statement. Actually, not to derail this on the tangent, but when we were, I was Googling research for this, there is a conspiracy theory or an internet theory, whatever you want to call it, that Elf is actually a prequel to Step Brothers. So, I mean, I think Elf is 2003 and Step Brothers is 2008. So, you know, there was like one line where it was like, oh, you know, it's five years before. So maybe, you know, he he became assimilated and was adopted by Nancy or whatever. And that's how it goes. Um, I don't think there's much weight to that theory. But I mean, it's an interesting one to mention. I respect you going tough on the grading because obviously the eight movies that I'm going to select, or I should say that we select collectively, but it's really more my choice because I've seen them and you haven't. I would, I would put them all kind of at, like, the cream of the crop. But like the point here is, you know, we could probably pull 20 different movies that could be in this eight volume. Instead, it's kind of, like, going to be ones that I really expect to be great watched each time. I mean, like, not to spoil the next episode, but we're going to be talking about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And that movie is just an incredible classic. And I, I won't spoil anything else going forward. But, yeah, if you want to sell on 8.5, fair. I just, you know, I, I, I am curious to see how the other movies are going to come out as we go through this process.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I can't give everything a 10. I'm not, I'm not going to be supportive of the great inflation that's sweeping this country. Um, <laughs> but but we're going to go with an 8.5 for now. And, and uh, But, you know, I would say definitely a contender once we put these eight movies into, into a bracket or, or however we decide the champion at the very end.
1: What's your feeling
0: early on? Like, I, I don't want to glue you to predictions, but
1: is Step Brothers... I mean, we've watched two so far in the Infinite Playlist. What kind of odds do you give the Step Brothers for actually winning the damn thing?
0: Um, I I I think I give it decent odds. Okay. Um, I, I I'm looking forward to seeing what's what's on the rest. I I, I think I, I start to put some thought into whether it's the better of the two we've watched. I think okay. they're they're both very strong. Um, but uh, you know we'll we'll see. I don't even know the other titles on the playlist yet on the uh, uh, in this category. You you'll you'll kind of throw them at me. Um, but, but definitely a satisfying movie. Good. Uh, glad that to have watched it. Um, and, and I think certainly a worthy inaugural episode of, of this great podcast.
1: That is all from us. Big thanks to Hank. Big thanks to myself and a huge shout out to Anchor for letting us record this podcast with nothing but my phone. I promise you this is not a paid read. I am just genuinely grateful that we do not have to spend on microphones and everything else. Um, Maybe in the future, and maybe our audio quality will improve, but until then, we'll be back soon with our next episode where we'll be talking about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And until then, this has been the fucking Catalina Wine Mixer. See you then.